Dispatching from Block Island, this is Allison Morfold, the Director of the Wellness and Risk Reduction Program at the Block Island Medical Center, and Kristen Bauman, Director of the Island Free Library. This is Wake Up Well, a community conversation around wellness in the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Thanks for joining us. This island rather forces you to be an honest person because you really can't get away with anything um, if, you're, if, if you're fake or telling people things that just aren't true. It's very exciting for us to have today's guest with us. It's very exciting for me, and I know Allison is also excited. It is Lars Trotson. He is the editor of the Block Island Times. He's a very good friend of mine, and um, we asked him to come on to talk a little bit about himself, the future of news, the current situation of news, and whatever else we come upon today. So Lars, thanks for coming on today. Oh, it's my pleasure. This is exciting for me too. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, welcome Lars. Um, so I think we're gonna, we're gonna kick it off with a question that I've been asking everyone. And okay. that question is, why do you live here? Well, I, uh, I have to take a step back or two to answer that question. I was sort of at a very much a crossroads in my own life, um, living in New Hampshire. Um, uh, my marriage was coming to an end. Um, I had decided to write a couple of books, um, one of which did really well. The other one did not. And suddenly found myself in the, in the position of thinking about going back to work. I had taken a year or so off to write, write, write this book. And um, I was rummaging around the internet one day and uh, on Craigslist, I'm not even sure if Craigslist is still a thing, but this is what, eight years ago or so, and clicked on an editor wanted link and up popped the Block Island Times. And uh, I thought, wow, this is fortuitous. Um, obviously, I'm, a, I'm not obviously, but I'm a Rhode Islander, born and bred. And I thought, well, this is an exciting opportunity. I didn't really know the island that well. And um, the process was pretty smooth. I interviewed with Betty and Fraser Lang. Um, they obviously talked to some people that I had referenced them to. And I was out here in a matter, matter of weeks. Um, so that was, that's the mechanism that got me out here is the Block Island Times. You're telling us you live on Block Island from a Craigslist post? I, I, yes. The, Craig, the help wanted was uh, <laughs> uh, mixed in with a lot of uh, needed uh, for my adult film uh, uh, project kind of thing, but I found that one. And, uh, yeah. So I, uh, I was, wow. not, I had been to the Island obviously. Yeah. And I just saw editor needed. And, uh, I immediately called a friend of mine who had a business out here then and asked if he knew Betty and Fraser Lang, who were the publishers then that he said they did. Um, uh, and, uh, it went very quickly after that. I just should maybe add to that when I arrived, um, it's an interesting situation to be put into position of some authority, I'll put it that way, and not really know anything about the community. That was a very different experience for me. So it was a little disorienting. It was a lot frightening. Um, I probably masked some of my own um, insecurities by being you know, overly sure of myself in those early days. Um, but then after a year or two, I realized I just got to settle in. Um, I learned gradually it was not love at first sight. And I certainly learned gradually to really, really love and appreciate this island 
now. Um, it took a, a little while, I have to say, but uh, now I, I couldn't imagine myself being anywhere else. Wow. And, and so on that, do you think that there's, um, do you think there's pieces of you that, uh, that changed from living on the island and like that wouldn't have changed had you not come here? Like, what have you learned about yourself being on this island? Oh, I, I think the, uh, the importance of, first of all, I think I was, but I, I, I can't attest to this uh, 100%. This island rather forces you to be an honest person because you really can't get away with anything um, if, you're, if, if you're fake or telling people things that just aren't true. Um, I, I don't believe I was that person before, but I'm, I'm extra, extra careful to be just so honest and direct about what, I, what I'm doing, what I hope to do, what I say I'm going to do, what I believe, because I don't want to deal with any of that mopping up after that if I do something different. Yeah. And I believe that people are treating, I, people, I, I believe that you, you guys um, are, are straight with me. And I think that I need to respect that and return that. And I think that's what the island has really, really made me aware of what, how, how good it is and frankly, how much easier it is just to be completely honest about everything that you're doing and you're saying. And uh, obviously I've never, I shouldn't say obviously, but I've never really lived in a community that's as tight knit. It's a, it's a marvelous thing, I think, to go to the grocery back when we could or go to the, uh, um, the post office or even stand out in front of your office or whatever and see cars drive by and that you actually know 99% of the people that you come into contact with. That's an amazing gift, I think. Do you think that that tight-knitness or even the fact, even your experience with um, kind of how information travels in our community or the need to be honest has sort of affected your philosophy of journalism? Uh, the, the island has changed my, my philosophy about journalism in this way, not necessarily about being truthful or accurate, but it's a, I believe that the Block Island Times is a part of the community, meaning we are of the community, but also we should be apart from it. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Um, we're, we're, we're a part of the community, but we also have to be somewhat distanced because we need to, to, uh, to report on what's going on in as dispassionate way as possible. Um, however, for instance, there's one specific example. I was to, back when I was an editor of a daily paper in, uh, in New Hampshire. Um, we had a long and lengthy police log. Uh, back then even, I had qualms about that um, because we never would follow up with how a particular case was adjudicated, whether the person that was arrested for whatever was uh, found not guilty or whether was the case thrown out. So all we did was report an arrest. And I realize out here, that if somebody has been arrested out on Block Island, their lives are already in some kind of trouble and not good trouble. And, and by publicizing that information, which by the way is freely gotten at the, at the, at the uh, police department if you so choose to go look for it, um, is only going to hurt that person more and not be of any help to the community. So there are some things that I do do differently out here because I think that um, the newspaper needs to give people information that's helpful to them, that helps them navigate their lives. And frankly, gossip about somebody that might be in trouble is not terribly helpful to your 
uh, how you're going to do your business during that day. It may be gossipy, but it's not helpful. And I really believe that the newspaper should be a help. Yeah, and it sounds like also you're saying that that's, there's a certain amount of context that's needed, you know, in any, any story that you're doing, you need to be able to provide that outside of just information for information's sake. Exactly. There was a very interesting thing that was said to me very early on when I got out here, um, which was, we read the Block Island Times to see if they got the story right. And <laughs> so... That said to me, well, the information is already out there. So, yes, we very much need to make sure uh, uh, the story is right and give it the proper context, Allison. That's 100% correct. That's really profound for me what you just said. You just said the information is already out there. That's like, that yeah. for me really hits home. That's like, okay, that is yeah. a unique challenge to this community. It's, you're not, you know, you really, your job is not to provide something that somebody already knows. It's kind of like, to give them the, the whole story surrounding that piece of information. That's, a, that's exactly right. Because as you know, when I say the information is already out there, I should say maybe the information is already out there in some form, you know? So um, we'll fill that in. And obviously there are things that we cover and meetings that we go to that people are not aware of. So um, I'm, I'm not gonna say that the paper is filled with things that people already know, but um, obviously some of the larger things that happen are already going around by the time the paper comes out on Friday. So um, I, I'm, I'm thinking about um, what you're saying and about the information coming out and your, your publication on Fridays and, um, you know, this sense of like, we already know the story in some capacity. I'm thinking about myself. I think we're similar in some ways in our professions and that we're in the information business in a sense together. Yep. And, um, and, and so we, our, our goal, I know you and I share a goal of people getting good information, getting accurate information, getting verified information, getting um, reliable information, which is, which is what you've just been talking about. Not, not just the story, but the, the, the truth of that story. Um, and I want to I wanna talk about that in this world where fake news is an everyday word, with, where there's other disparaging comments about information made constantly by leadership of our country, um, where there's this heightened skepticism about information. And I, I, I want to ask you, how is that affecting your work? Um, and from your perspective, how is that affecting the world? I think that, uh, well, um, there, there's so many threads to that. Well, um, the, the fake news comes in two ways. I think let's, let's um, try to get some uh, uh, definitions. Sure. Great. So, there are people who write columns and there are opinion columns and you can say anything you want in a, in, within reason in an opinion column, right? You, um, and then yes. what happens is, is that sometimes then people will disseminate that opinion, which is purely an opinion. Um, and then what happens is that sometimes those opinions will get picked up by established news organizations and they'll run that opinion in an article as though it's factually based information. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, very interesting. So I did not know that. This is, the, this is the chain of events that can happen and has happened. Um, so I will say that this, you know, the, worth, the world is flat and I will write a column declaring the world is flat, uh, you know, demonstrably flat. And then the, the, uh, you know, the Westerly Sun, as an example, will pick up the story by column and say, the editor of the Block Island Times believes the world is flat, you know? and put that in a news article, then it becomes news, not opinion, right? 
So the other thing about fake news is, um, well, there's really three threads. Fake news is also news that people decide that they don't like, that may be perfectly true, so they say it's fake. And then there is also demonstrably fake news, untrue stories that get disseminated by people who are saying this is fact. So it's perfectly okay for me to believe that the world is flat. That's not either wrong or right, it's just my belief. But then it gets disseminated out there as truth. Then there's the fake news that people will say is fake because they don't like it. It's not flattering or something. And then there's the fake news that begins its life as something demonstrably false. So does that, does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. Yes. So I think that we are in our own way battling that. Um, and as I said earlier, it heightens my sense of accuracy. And, and I don't want to say, I guess, truthfulness, honesty maybe, or honesty. Um, to, to ensure that we never, ever deliberately say something um, that is untrue. We, 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 we really do our best to check and double check, uh, even on spelling of names, because we know that we're living in this world where there's so much information that's being disseminated, uh, particularly about the origin of the, the coronavirus, its effect, its impact, all of this. Um, and so it's very challenging. But the, o- the best antidote to that um, is to live your world our world in a fact-based manner. We just have to keep doing it. It's Sisyphus rolling the boulder up the hill, but we just have to do it. Yeah, I guess then, you know, but the questions that become, you know, what are the facts and, and, and how difficult that is becoming to distinguish? Well, it's, it's incredibly difficult to, to uh, distinguish because um, uh, everything is... Um, um, malleable today. I mean, let me just give you one little example in my world. For instance, a newspaper columnist that writes for the New York Times or writes for the Block Island Times or whatever, that columnist is perfectly able and should share their opinion. But that has nothing to do with the opinion of the newspaper. The newspaper's opinion becomes on the editorial page. That's the difference. But, so, but what's happening now, and those, those distinctions used to be very, very clear, by the way. It would be the columnist for the Block Island Times said this. Now that's mutated into, did you hear that the Block Island Times said this? When it wasn't us, it was the, col- it was the columnist. Mm. It was not something that was ever taken in, uh, or, or stated in the editorial position. So um, all of these terms that were once so carefully defined and well-defined and helpful to us in how we um, process the information that was coming at us have become mutated and malleable and frankly just disregarded. So the, the fact and fi- fiction and opinion, it's all now in a massive race to the end together, all mixed up. I'm wondering if you think that the overload of information, just the quantity that we have the ability to consume in our culture may have an effect on how we understand that news, whether it's because um, we don't understand the source, or maybe we don't understand the meaning of the words that are being used? Right, exactly. Okay, there's two things on that which I think are really, really important. If you look at a newspaper or a magazine that was printed 50 years ago, you will find incredibly long, detailed, well-researched journalism in these, in these periodicals, magazines, newspapers. Um, where people had to literally sit down and take some amount of time out of their day to wade through them to get the information that these articles were presenting. Then 35, 40 years ago, whatever it is, we started to get something called USA Today, which was just little thumbnails 
of, of stories and headlines and graphics. Um, and then we had something called headline news and things like that. And now we have tweets and the, the way we're getting information has become smaller and smaller and smaller. So that we're basically just getting our information in basically headlines only. And if, if in those 144 characters or that headline that you're reading, if one word is just casually used or whatever, that's going to throw your whole information processing off because you, in the, in the, in the minimal way that you're getting your information, some of that information, that tiny little headline is already wrong. So they're each impacting each other. Does this make sense? So we, so in this day and age, when we should be using our words even more carefully, even with more precision, we're using them with less precision. So all of this is, is, is giving us um, information that's very hard for us to process because some of the information we're getting is not even clear. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think at, at the risk of sounding like a millennial, which I am, but like, <laughs> yeah, um, I think when, when I talk about this, we talk a lot about this in the classes that I take or whatever. And the interpretation of my generation is that this started with the internet, essentially, and the, just the quantity that is coming in and the speed and the different quote-unquote sources that you have on the internet but it's interesting to think of it from your point of view and that you're saying that this actually started before that like with just a simple like headline of USA Today or whatever that that was the original um, condensing of important information into a couple words. Yes I, I was I was I was not a fan of USA Today I understood it it was a newspaper being created but for the television age because it was a newspaper created for me. I grew up with television. You know, I'm the probably um, the first holy, I was born in 1959, so maybe the first holy televised childhood kind of experience. Um, and of course, television, little half hour sitcoms and little brief cartoons on Saturday morning does not process your brain in a way uh, or train your brain in a way that's gonna allow you to take these longer excursions into words and ideas and things like that. Uh, I happen to be wired that way because so I do go down that particular lane of novels and art, long articles and things like that. But that's, I'm just lucky enough. I got wired that way. Despite spending my entire childhood in front of the television set, watching the three stooges. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't seem to matter because we're seeing that uh, the way that people are consuming information is kind of consistent in a way across generations whether it's whether they're getting the immediate headline, the right away headline, or finding all their news on Facebook, both can be problematic in different ways. So I'm wondering if you have just general advice to people who are trying to find balance in that, especially during this time. Well, I think you're, you're um, particularly this time, I think we have to, more than ever, we have to listen to the thought leaders in the science and fact-based communities. This is not a great time to listen to pundits and things like that. Punditry and all of that is, it's entertaining, it's rollicking, it's raucous. I get all of that and all of those, that appeal. I understand whether it's a right thing or a left thing or whatever, I get that. But right now you will, I believe, lessen your anxiety by listening to fact-based information or reading fact-based information. Um, 
right now in particular. Other than that, I would say then go watch your movies and whatever else you do for entertainment. But I don't think it's a great time to be listening to your favorite pundit on TV um, uh, talk about how this is, is impacting the political world. I frankly don't really care how it's impacting the political world. We need to know how it's impacting our daily lives, not only for uh, ourselves, um, but for our children and our grandchildren, our older parents and whoever we've got, so that we can then give to them the right information. You know, weeks and weeks ago, I told my mom, she's 84. She lives in an apartment building. I said, mom, don't go down the elevator with another person in the elevator. Just don't do it. Wait. You know what I mean? It may seem rude and it may seem counter to, to our natural courteousness or politeness, but now is not the time for that. And I did that and I was able to um, say that to my mom because people were saying social distancing, this travels in the air, and that was a good thing for me to hook onto early on, fact-based information. Yeah, so there's this definite balance that we're all working towards of, um, of this consumption of information and news and, and you know, what's the healthy balance there between what you need for your daily life what you need to understand about what's going on in the world right. and, and, and how do we, and I think that probably happens all the time, but I think it's especially um, poignant right now. Right now it is. I mean, yeah. and my, my approach to news has never been about a car accident or a house fire. Though, knowing that information about um, uh, a car accident or a house fire is two examples gives you nothing about your own world. We know car accidents happen and we know fires happen. So what's the information that you're getting from that? Leave that aside. That's the noise. That's what we're talking about. Don't bother with that. Go after now some more substantive information because it'll put your feet more firmly on the ground and you won't feel so anxious if you feel like you're able to make smart decisions based on the facts. Yeah. Is able be a, a one little tool that helps you navigate your way through this very, very complicated world. It's almost like what you're saying, and this is what I'm hearing, jump in if I'm incorrect, but if you read something and it feels like it's targeted to get you fired up, perhaps that might not be the best thing. That's not the best take-home message. It's not the best. Well, I mean, we could say fired up meaning inspired. If you read something and boy, it's, I'm inspired to do something for my community, whatever, that's fired, that's fired up in a good way. But if you're listening to your punditry and, and, and all it's doing is making you angry and feeding an emotional response, not an intellectual one or a, or a reasoned one, let's say, then no, that's not what you need. And you certainly don't need that at seven o'clock in the morning when you're driving to work. You know, you don't need to be listening to talk radio first thing on your way to work, you know, back when we were able to drive to work and be angry about something that you have no control over. That's not or, a good thing. Or as you go to bed. Or as you go to bed. Yeah. Or as or you go to go eat to dinner. For years and years and years, I listen to old-time radio broadcasts before I go to sleep. They're just, they're one, wonderful audio. They're, they're, they're radio plays. They're um, BBC radio plays. Um, stuff that was done in America in the 40s and 50s. They're, they're a delight and they're entertaining and they send me away, I think, on a nice note. And where do you get your news? Uh, 
I read the I read the the New Yorker, I read the New York Times, I read the Wall Street Journal, um, I read the Providence Journal somewhat, um, and uh, whatever else may come my way. I'm not a big, yeah. um, you know, I'll I'll glance at the Huffington Post, but for a long time now with the Huffington Post, or the Daily Beast, or any of those things, I never look at Drudge. Um, in part, just because he links to the work that other people has done. I don't really know if there's a philosophy there or not, but, um, but just, uh, that I'll, I'll grab a, you know, a headline or whatever. Oftentimes the internet for me is a great source of something that I had not heard about a painter or a writer or whatever. And then I'll go explore that, that artist or whatever it is in a more thorough yeah. way on some other format. Yeah, I get introduced to a lot of things on the internet, but then I'll go find them, find out about them in more traditional ways. Right, and you've you've already said that that's sort of how you work, how your brain operates. You yeah. like to go down the longer road there. Right, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, I can get very um, um, compulsive about a subject where all of a sudden I really will try learn almost everything I can about it. And then, you know, then I feel as though, okay, I've done that. I'm kind of, you know, I'm bored with it now and move on, move on to the next, <laughs> the next thing. And how does, how is the internet and, um, and, and maybe COVID and, and before COVID and beyond COVID, like what, what is happening with local newspapers? How, what, what's, I know that you're, I mean, we on Block Island have witnessed the change of your work, right? We are watching you post live from the town council meetings and then quickly put us a breaking news story out on our on your website so like you know this is is this was this a long change coming did it happen quickly is it going to stick with us what, what's happening here well it did happen quickly uh, but our goal was i should say my goal for 2020 was always to become a much more integrated news machine in terms of using the internet and social media to get news out and video out and audio out on a much more regular basis so that we would be both a digital and hard copy um, news distribution organization. Okay, so that's exactly what's happening right now. Right. Do you think? And yes. Yes, but what happened was when, when things began to heat up a month or so ago, six weeks ago, whatever it was, um, I it didn't take a genius to recognize that the, the Friday hard copy distribution model was just not going to be effective uh, at all on any level. So, and it was very easy to um, uh, uh, pivot and go to that model because the news was coming at us. It wasn't as though we were scrounging around for something to write about or report. It was just coming to us at a, at a fierce pace. Um, and then we found out, you know, which is just because of the way it was working, we were posting two, three, four, five times a day. You've seen it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the numbers are enormous. I mean, I posted a little thing. Uh, I talked to our Harbor master, Kate McConville, the other day about boats, people on boats needing, needing to quarantine on the water for 14 days. And in a matter of hours, that thing had something like 11,000, 12,000 hits on that story. I mean, it's just, it's where it's at right now is online. You, it's funny that you bring up that specific because I had, um, you know, my girlfriend from Brooklyn call me. She's like, so people have to quarantine on boats, huh? And I was like, oh boy, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and my, you know, I was like, uh, I, you know, and, and for me, I was like, wait, people are here on boats. <laughs> like, 
I, I didn't get that. But yeah, you're right. It's traveling quickly. But what does that mean for the paper copy? I, uh, the paper copy, nothing. It means that the paper copy by necessity might be a little more repetitious than we'd like. There are obviously certain things that um, I hold for the, um, that are ours, Martha Ball's column, Kim, Kim Gaffett's nature column, things like that, Joe Houlihan, mm -hmm. other mm -hmm. news stories that are not so urgent to be heard so that there is a reason that, that, that you get some value out of the dollar that you spend on Fridays. There's another thing also, which I feel very grateful for, and I can't express this enough, is that people, I think, like the ritual of buying the Block Island Times on a Friday. I think there's something to that for the people in this community that look for the paper. And I think that one small ritual, that one small tradition that will continue in this otherwise upside down world is in its own way important. Maybe not important, but maybe um, calming or whatever the uh, word is. I would go with important. Okay. I would yeah. echo that. I would agree. I mean, there's such a habitual thing to news. It's such like a part of your day and our community is all about the paper that comes out and you know on a friday it's rare that i don't that somebody doesn't ask me did you read the paper about whatever i'm not sure that's happening everywhere else but i think it's a really important and nice thing that's happening here yes i i am i am in, and i do, I, I mean it with the, the utmost sincerity it's so gratifying i remember the moment and you don't get that. I've worked in newspapers in other communities and it doesn't happen like that. Um, I remember the moment I walked around the corner, our, our, our office is obviously right next to the bagel shop. And one summer day, a few years back, I walked around the corner and the tables on the outside patio at the bagel shop were full. And 95% of the people were reading the Block Island Times that morning. Hmm. Why I didn't roll back to the office and get my camera and take a yeah. photo of that, I don't know to this day. <laughs> But I went, holy cow, that's pretty cool. And, you know, when I went on Friday, I would go to the grocery, you know, to pick something up, whatever. And one person after another would be carrying the block on the times. And I would say, boy, that just is really, really cool. And I, it does not, people's support of the newspaper does not go unnoticed on, on any level. Yeah, that's great. Th that's a great image. It, it's nice for us to think about the bagel shop open, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> And, and, it, and it's nice for us to think about that the boat ran today and the paper arrived. Yep. Right? Yep. The paper is here. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I get a, get a you text got a good, from the... Uh, you got I a get, good paper out? Yes. Yeah, so, well, we had, I have to say, this just, this is, hopefully it won't be repeated. Um, we just had such monumental technical issues this week. It was almost um, mind-bending how bad they were. So fonts weren't loading. So the paper definitely looks a little bit different this week, I have to say. But um, we'll, uh, uh, hopefully the information is on point, but um, we'll, we'll work through these as time goes on. We had some changes in personnel and things like that. So it just, necess it just was a mixed up week. But it, the paper's there, it's intact, and it's looking good. And you're still here. I'm, I guess. <laughs> I you're here. I, 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 I just would wonder what it would take for me to, you know, think I would want to go do something else at this point, you know? Yeah. I think it's just, I, 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 if somebody had said to me 10 years ago that you would live, uh, that I would live on an island community that's sunny, 
and beaches, none of which appeals to me on any level or did, I should say, I would have literally laughed. I said, that's insane. You, you obviously have no idea who I am. So the idea that I'm, um, uh, I, I had a conversation, just very quickly, I had a conversation with my wife years ago. Um, and we were thinking about moving. And Judy said at the time, my wife at the time, she said, well, geez, maybe she loved the beach and everything about it. And she said, well, maybe we should move close to the beach. And I said, yeah, I'm never going to, no, beach, I hate the beach. I hate the sand. I hate everything about it. So the fact that I ended up here is kind of ironic. But I, the fact that I walk the beach now and love to get in the water, it's, it's an, an amazing change. That's great. Yeah. We're happy. We're ha I'm happy. We're happy. The island is happy. The off-islanders are happy. Everybody's <laughs> happy that you love it here. Believe oh me. Oh, my God. I do. I, yeah, yeah. You feel that, I'm sure. Oh, I do. I mean, I, I, it's genuine. And I like the fact, I think it's, it hits me a lot because it took work for me to get there. It was not instantaneous at all. So the fact that I've worked through it in my own challenges and my own insecurities and uh, whatever I have, may have been feeling off balance when I arrived, the fact that I worked through it with the help of some people, you, other people, very definitely um, got me to this place right now. It, it was work, but I had a lot of help and I'm grateful for it. That's great. I'm wondering if I can uh, ask kind of both of you guys a question that, because we've been talking a lot about what can we carry forth We've been talking a lot about what can we learn from this situation and move forward. And obviously, I'm hearing a lot of anxiety from people about news and things they're reading. And Lars, we've heard that you're a long way around guy or rabbit hole guy or whatever you want to say. Um, and I get the feeling like, Kristen, you kind of are too. Like, you're not afraid to dig in, right? I'm not afraid to dig in. Correct. So I'm wondering... Is it fair to say that because we have more time right now, a lot of people have more time, it might be an, a good moment to take the long road sometimes to figure out where'd you get that info? Who's actually behind the info? And is there a way to do that without, without furthering the anxiety? Like, can we do that as like more of a thought experiment and more, more like a, a reason exercise than a overconsumption exercise? You want to go first, Kristen? Well, I, I think that's an interesting question. I have to say my, my gut reaction to that is that I do that fairly consistently because I have a 16-year-old who I live with. And, um, you know, as a, par and a parenting technique, I'm constantly saying to him, well, where did you read that? Did you read anything else about that? Have you looked that up? you know, have you ever, you know, so like I sort of say that a lot. Um, cause he's, you know, he's a, he's a smart kid. He's educated and, and he's, he's, he's a political kid and he's a news kid. So he's, you know, giving me headlines as I walk in the door after work, headlines that I haven't read, read news that I haven't looked at. And I'm like, you sure about that? You sure? You know, so I think, Yes, for, for myself and in my household, you know, that's a natural response for us. Like, let's check that out. Let's dig in a little. I'm not sure that it's connected to the anxiety that we might feel in our house around that. It's more of a, um, you know, pursue the truth sort of motive. That makes sense. I would, I would say that people should approach 
the world now, the way we approach going into the Block Island Medical Center, in that when I speak to Linda or you or Dr. Clark or whomever, I'm getting what I would consider fact-based information about my life that I need to listen to. You're not going to give a, a patient an opinion. Is that fair to say? Uh, you know, it's like, can you go out and play tennis? Uh, sure, whatever. You know, I mean, you're going to say, here's what I would do. Am I wrong about that? That's pretty, that's pretty accurate, I'd say. Okay, so that's the way we should be looking at the world right now, is the, get the information from sources that you trust, and then use that information to better your life. Obviously, if you're talking about physical therapy, or you're talking about cholesterol, or obviously medical conditions that are much more serious, you're not going to disregard what the experts are telling you about your own life. You're going to follow it, hopefully, to get a better outcome. That's a good way to approach the world. The world now, you should look at the world like you would the Block Island Medical Center. Treat it and find your experts, listen to their information, and use that information to make corrections in your own life so that you feel better. I like that. You know, our last episode, we had a little bit of a actionable outcome. We uh, spoke with Gloria Redlick from the Senior Advisory um, Committee. Uh, she is the Senior Coordinator for the Senior Advisory Committee. I think I got that right that time, Allison. Um, and uh, we, we, out of that conversation came uh, a letter writing campaign. And we have teens who are now writing to our elderly population here on the island. It was sort of this action that happened from the episode. And I think you just laid out an action for people, Lars, would you say? I, I, I mean, I, if, yes, I, I didn't mean to, but uh, I but guess I think, maybe I did. But yeah, I think, I think that's it's right. important. Yeah, I think it's an important action. I, I think you can mean to. Um, I, I think that's a great uh, takeaway. And this is not to say, of course, don't be, you know, disregard every, any, everything frivolous or entertaining or whatever. Jeez, you know, right. I'm not, obviously we're not saying 24 hours a day you have to be serious and, you know, embedded in this whole uh, atmosphere that we're living in right now. Get definitely, uh, Allison, right? I mean, get away from that as much as you can. Yes, for sure. Take, take breaks. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Do you want to close with reading us a poem? We, we're asking people to share things that they're reading or enjoy or think about. Well, uh, first, before we close, can, we, yeah. can you tell us how many books have you written? I've written two novels and three of my little short stories since I've been on Block Island. I mean, Excellent. the two novels came before I came to Block Island, but I started this little project a, a year and a half ago, I guess, when I wrote that Christmas story, right? And uh, yeah. so my little books, they're, they're inexpensive little trinkets, but I think people like them, and they're at uh, Susan Bush's uh, Islandbound Bookstore. And are you working on another? I am indeed. Excellent. I'm working, on, I'm working on bringing back my, I'm pretty much done with it. The characters that I had in my little mystery that was last summer's book, the, the Block Island Mystery Writers Retreat. Some of those people will be coming back in the next installment. Excellent. And so does that mean we, we look forward to that and a Christmas book or we don't yes. know yet? There'll be another, there'll be a new Christmas book in, uh, uh, at the end of the year, at the holiday season. Definitely. Excellent. What that's I'm wondering great. about, Kristen, have you figured out where Lars can read that's not by the fire so that we could hear him in like the summer? 
like 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 uh, Lars like by the should... birdcage. I don't know. Yeah. Like <laughs> Lars in the elevator. Yeah, we'll find it. We'll find a good spot. That's a good point. Yeah, we'll find a good spot. Lars on the loudspeaker on the front lawn. That's you know I think that's maybe where some library services are going out onto the front lawn. Love oh, it. And, kind and, of and, interesting. Yeah, in the post-COVID world. So maybe Lars will kick off some of those events for us. I would. I'd be honored. That would be great. Thank you. Let's yeah. Let's let's all follow the rules so we get there. So we get there. So we can get there. Yes. Yes. So uh, yeah, I would like to share this. This this is a poem that I I have I cannot remember. I was a young boy, not a young boy, but probably ten or eleven or twelve. Um, uh, and where or how I came across it, I I don't know. It might have been in a book on my parents bookshelf and I just happened to take it down and and read it and it's just one of those pieces of literature that I think we've all experienced that it just simply catches your fancy you know and I've always even since I was a little kid I've always liked things that had a slight air of mystery about them um uh that's always been very intriguing to me so this is a poem that I've the first time I read it I've never forgotten it because um, it has that air of mystery about it. And uh, if you don't mind, I'll read it. It's called The Listeners um, by a poet named Walter de la Mer. And when it was published, I don't really know, but probably in the early part of the 19th century. Uh, so The Listeners. Is there anybody there, said the traveler, knocking on the moonlit door, and his horse in the silence champed the grasses of the forest's ferny floor. And a bird flew up out of the turret above the traveler's head and he smote upon the door again, a second time. Is anybody there, he said. But no one descended to the traveler, no head from the leaf-fringed sill, leaned over and looked into his gray eyes, where he stood perplexed and still. But only a host of phantom listeners that dwelt in a lone house then, stood listening in the quiet of the moonlight to that voice from the world of men, stood thronging the faint moonbeams on the dark stair that goes down the empty hall, hearkening in an air stirred and shaken by the lonely traveler's call. And he felt in his heart their strangeness, their stillness answering his cry, while his horse moved, cropping the dark turf neath the starred and leafy sky. For he suddenly smote on the door, even louder, and lifted his head. Tell them I came and no one answered, that I kept my word, he said. Never the least stir made the listeners, though every word he spake fell echoing through the shadowiness of the still house from the one man lone awake. I, they heard his foot upon the stirrup and the sound of iron on stone and how the silence surged softly backward when the plunging hoofs were gone. Creepy. <laughs> I prefer mysterious, but whatever. <laughs> oh, language, you know, you're always yeah, right. language. <laughs> Very precise, we need precision. <laughs> But anyway, that's, yeah, I just did that poem, poem caught my fancy at a young age. Wow. And you weren't scared of it? Never. 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 I'm captivated by the line, tell them I came and no one answered, that I kept my word. Yeah. And it's like, what happened? Yeah. The whole world of information in that one line, those two lines. Yeah. That poem lacks context, Lars. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It's, <laughs> it's 
actually does. <laughs> That's good. We just learned about uh, Lars's mission on Earth is to fill us in with context because he loves the mysterious, you know. <laughs> right. I throw it all. Wake Up Well is produced by Dry Brush Studios. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation or offer comments or suggestions, please email us at wakeupwellblockisland at gmail.com. Thanks.